It's time for another episode of Let's Talk Punk Rock, and I'm stoked to share this one with you all. Here's a band that had plenty of rough patches along the way, and we've even mentioned part of this in a previous episode. So, if you're the young crazed peeling and want to beat your heart out and drain the blood, let's take a trip over to the City of Angels. That's right, everyone. We're doing the distillers. I can remember the first time I heard of the distillers. A friend of mine in high school and I were discussing women in punk, and I commented on the attractiveness of Joan Jett, and he told me I needed to see Brody Dahl. Attractive? Yes. But that music was wild for me. I was hooked and an instant Distillers fan. Now, for our story of the Distillers, we're going to start with Dahl. Real name, Bree Joanna Alice Robinson. She was born in Fitzroy, which is a suburb of Melbourne, Australia. At a young age, she tried her hand at poetry, trading babysitting for help with it from the woman across the street when she was around 8 years old. By the age of 15, she'd been kicked out of school, however, and had developed a tendency to run away from home. She soon started drinking, taking pills, and doing heroin. Her first band was called Sourpuss and played around the early to mid-90s, which set the ball in motion for the takeoff of the distillers. In 1995, Sourpuss plays at the Somersault Festival in Australia. It's here that she meets Tim Armstrong, lead singer of Rancid. A few months later, Armstrong invited Dahl to join him on tour with Lollapalooza, and she accepts. Dahl has to return to Australia after Lollapalooza finishes, but Armstrong promises to come visit. She soon gets a call from him, saying that he will be there the next day, but he never shows. Time goes by and Dahl is heartbroken, eventually cutting her wrist and having to go to therapy. She's only 17 at the time. To add tragedy to the already sad story, Sourpuss disbands after their drummer Enika Hinkley goes hitchhiking and is later found raped and murdered on the side of the freeway. Armstrong doesn't completely disappear, though. Far from it. To make up for his lack of showing up, he eventually contacts Dahl again, this time inviting her to move to L.A. with him. She moves to L.A. in 97, and they are married that summer in Nevada, with Dahl taking his last name. Now, for the purposes of this episode, I'm going to continue to refer to her as Brody Dahl, because that's what she currently goes by, but in fact, at the time of our story, she's Brody Armstrong. At the time of this marriage, she's 18 years old and Armstrong is 31. Being from Australia and in LA, Dahl doesn't know anyone other than her new husband and his friends, so she finds herself spending a lot of time at Epitaph Records. Epitaph has a strict no-substances policy and so Dahl had to kick her old habits. If you recall from our Rancid episode, Tim Armstrong and Lars Fredrickson had a massive drinking problem at one point and had gotten sober. On top of that, Epitaph founder Brett Gerowitz had also struggled with a heroin problem at one point, so the no-substances policy is completely understandable. Within a year, Dahl forms her new band, The Distillers, with her friend Kim Chi Fuelman, who was an employee at Epitaph. They bonded over their mutual love of punk music. They also bring in Matt Young on drums, who Dahl had met through friends with the adolescents. To round it all out, they recruit Rose Casper Mazzola on guitar. With the band getting things going, Tim Armstrong was adamant that they put their album out on his label, Hellcat. He described it as keeping it in the family, as loyalty was always very important to him. They did and released their debut album, The Distillers, on Hellcat Records, April 11, 2000. 
There was some criticism of the album, as people said she sounded too much like Armstrong, and was even accused of having Armstrong write her songs for her. It's understandable that there would be influence there, though, as she was married to the man and spent most of her time at Epitaph. Dahl says she cringes today, as the album is like someone reading her teenage diary. Gypsy Rose Lee refers to her time in Melbourne. It referred to a dress-up game she would play with a friend as kids. Her friend would be Gypsy Rose Lee, and she would be Marilyn Monroe. L.A. Girl and Girl Fixer were both about her move to L.A. L.A. Girl was actually her first song she wrote after coming to America. It is about Armstrong's female friends not being very welcoming to her. They also did a cover of Ask the Angels by Patti Smith, who Dahl had gotten to meet through Armstrong. The album got a rough review in The Village Voice, where a comment is made on the nonsensical lyrics and sometimes difficult to understand words. Dahl doesn't deny any of this, and it pushed her to change the way she wrote and sang from that point forward. A month after the album's release, the Distillers go on tour with Dropkick Murphys, Bouncing Souls, and The Dwarves for Epitaph's Punkorama tour. After this, they continue on a few other tours, including their first European tour, which is with Agnostic Front. After this, Kim Chi and Matt Young leave the band to play in the original Sinners. In Dan Ozzy's book Sellout, Dahl says that she fired them from the band, but I've also found articles claiming they just quit, so that's going to have to be one of the stories you take your pick on, with the outcome being the same either way. Chi is replaced by Dante Sagona of the Nerve Agents for a while before being replaced by Ryan Sin. Young is replaced by Andy Outbreak Grinelli, who had also been in the Nerve Agents. Grinelli was friends with Sin, who had been working at a record shop, and called him up to ask if he wanted to play bass. Sin initially said no and that he didn't know how to play bass, but his store manager told him to call back and take the audition. He learned the parts in four days and was in. His first show was the first day of Warp Tour, where he was told that if he messed up, then Matt Freeman of Rancid would be taking over to finish. No pressure, right? Sin did fine, and by November they were on tour opening for Rancid and AFI. Now, just like at Epitaph, Rancid has a strict no-debauchery rule while touring. Bands are to keep backstage clean. 
The band was told that if there was any drinking, they would be kicked off the tour, the band would be over, and Dahl would be sent to rehab. On January 25, 2002, we get the release of the Distillers' second album, Sing Sing Death House. Mazzola leaves shortly after the album is released. This album gets much more praise than their debut album did. They get a spot on MTV's You Hear It First, where Sway Calloway says, A band that gives a spark to the world of punk rock, and it doesn't take the resident expert to know how much it's needed. The female lead is definitely genuine, and the distillers pick up where legends like the Runaways left off. After this spot on MTV, they really start to take off. Their video for The Young Crazed Peeling starts to get regular play on MTV. They were also getting requested on the radio more often, and even though they never reached the Billboard 200, they do sell over 100,000 copies for Hellcat Records. Positive reviews come in all over, including Rolling Stone, CMJ, and even The Village Voice, who had criticized their last album. The tradition of writing songs that were personal to her life didn't stop with this album. The song Young Girls has a tragic backstory. In it, Dahl refers to Gertie Rouge, which is a pseudonym for her best friend growing up. That friend's father sexually abused both girls. He was taken to court, which got her friend out of the house and living with her for a time. This was sadly not the only sexual abuse Dahl faced growing up, as the next-door neighbor to the first man also did. It was the money she received from this court case that helped fund her eventual move to L.A. The fall after Sing Sing Death House was released, the tour is set up for the distillers to perform with No Doubt and Garbage. Dahl found a much-needed mentor in Shirley Manson, singer for Garbage. With their rising success, the distillers began getting offers from major labels. This was a big deal, not only because it would be good for the band, but because if you remember, Dahl's husband, Tim Armstrong, was very about keeping it in the family and having loyalty to the label. All of this made them nervous to sign with anyone big. They had heard stories of A&R guys doing and saying anything to get you to sign, like the guy who dyed his hair for Rancid to seem more punk. Dahl recalls one A&R guy saying that if they didn't sell one million copies, he'd quit his job even. The distillers do eventually get won over by Sire Records, however, which is owned by Warner Music Group. Sire appealed to them for a couple of reasons. Firstly, Sire had been the label to sign the Ramones and the Dead Boys. Secondly, Craig Aronson was the A&R guy who had worked with Jimmy Eat World and At The Drive-In they felt like they were in good hands here. Around this time, troubles between Dahl and Armstrong were beginning to emerge. 
Dahl was constantly touring, but Armstrong was wanting her home. He would often bring the argument back to the subject of loyalty, which only pissed Dahl off. She wanted to make her own decisions. In January of 2003, Armstrong gets a call from Dahl while she is in Australia. She's informing him that she wants a divorce. Armstrong was in the process of recording Rancid's newest album, Indestructible, but Gurowitz puts a halt on production so that Armstrong can take some time to get his head together over this news. And now we reach the part of the story where things start to crumble for the band. The band begins to get shunned, especially around the Gilman Street area. They were unable to do certain festivals because Rancid was playing there. People started to avoid being seen with them because they knew it could negatively affect their own bands. With a further slap in the face to Armstrong, whether that was the intention or not, Rolling Stone magazine puts out an issue on June 12th with a full photo of Dahl and her new boyfriend Josh Holm kissing. Holm, of course, is best known as lead vocalist and guitar for Queens of the Stone Age. They get dropped off Warp Tour that year because Rancid is headlining, but get picked up for Lollapalooza where Queens of the Stone Age are performing. Later, the distillers get to play at the infamous CBGB's where Dahl has the words Redheads Do It Better written on her arm. Home, of course, is a redhead. A kid at the show has a sign that reads, Take Tim Back, and Dahl responds to this by kicking the kid in the head. They start running into issues like this at most of their shows. Outside the glass house in Pomona, a kid is handing out flyers with the words Money Whore written on them. At another show, a girl spray-painted rancid on the distiller's tour bus. They embrace this by naming a stretch of shows the Most Hated Woman on Earth Tour. It's around this time, after the divorce, that Dahl drops the Armstrong surname and adopts Dahl. She took the name from Beatrice Dahl, a French actress. Around the time that all this is happening, Rancid surprises everyone by striking a distribution deal with Warner Brothers. This was a shock to everyone since Rancid had always been so adamant about staying loyal to the label. Their album gets released within two months of the distiller's newest album, Coral Fang. Coral Fang, which is released October 14, 2003, sees the addition of Tom Bradley on guitar. Bradley, being with Dahl during the Nardwar interview where he jokingly accuses her of not actually being Australian due to her not having much of an accent anymore, but she convinces him after she can answer the question of what do Australians call Burger King. They're Hungry Jacks, by the way, in case you're wondering. Probably the biggest hit off the album was Drain the Blood. In the music video, we see the band dropping down into the sewers, where the camera follows up Dahl's legs as she walks, giving us a glimpse of the heart tattoo that once said Tim, but now has that name blacked out. While they did get radio play for this song, they weren't getting much overall. Craig Aronson informs them that commercial radio stations typically will only do a couple female-led bands. One was going to be Courtney Love, and this time they were going with Evanescence. Another unfair blow to the band's prospects. The album art for Coral Fang is an image of a naked woman on a crucifix with a massive spray of blood coming from her ribs. 
This image had been made by Tim Presley, who would later go on to form Darker My Love with Grinelli. The label wasn't so sure about this artwork and convinced the distillers to do an alternative, so they could sell their album at major stores like Walmart. They agreed and made one that is just a bunch of animals on the cover with the words Safe Cover written in the top right corner. This album reaches number 97 in the US charts and 46 in the UK charts. Despite having a killer album out, the press only seemed interested in getting dirt on the divorce between Dahl and Armstrong. If they didn't get anything out of the band in interviews, they would start dissecting the lyrics in Coral Fang and twist them to their own gain. This became frustrating enough that Dahl started taking Grinelli along with her for interviews as support. Grinelli was pretty good at using humor to defuse situations when needed. Finally, in February of 2004, Dahl opens up about it all in an interview with The Face. She told them that the marriage had been unpleasant for the last three years, that they had tried counseling, and were no longer making love. She said that Armstrong was never abusive towards her, but was very controlling and would threaten divorce. Along with fans turning their backs on the distillers, Dahl's boyfriend was receiving death threats. Touring for Coral Fang was different than tours before for the distillers. They no longer had rancid strict rules against drugs and alcohol, and they hit it all hard. Dahl found herself doing meth at this time. They found themselves more interested in the drugs they were doing than the music they were making and had to take a break. Dahl went back to Australia for three months to reset and get away from drugs and people. January 1st, 2005, Home proposed to Dahl, who accepted. Meanwhile, Grinelli is still in the U.S. with little to do and beginning to run out of money. He starts playing with Darker My Love, which Dahl took personally. This results in a yelling match between the two and Grinelli quitting the band. A year later, he's hit by a car, resulting in both arms being broken and no longer being able to drum for Darker My Love. Sin also leaves the band to play with Angels and Airwaves. To put people at ease, Dahl and Bradley say the distillers are not breaking up, but are going on a hiatus. This hiatus turns into a breakup in 2006. Still owing one album to Sire, Dahl forms the band Spinneret. They record an album, but Sire doesn't like it, and Dahl essentially gets a free album out of them. It is later put out on a Canadian label, Anthem Records. Sire apparently knew what they were doing and passing on it, though, as it was not well liked by critics. This comes in the same year that Dahl has her first of three children, a daughter named Camille, with home. According to an interview with Kerrang, Dahl says they attempted to get the distillers back together in 2012, but it just didn't feel right. However, in 2018, a video is shared on Instagram, and a new Twitter account is created to announce the return of the distillers. The Twitter account is followed by Dahl, Grinelli, Bradley, and Spinnerets member Alan Johannes. Johannes was later removed and Sin was added. Bradley has since deleted his account. That April, they play their first show in 13 years at the Casbah in San Diego. September 11th, they announce a new single available on iTunes. February 14th, 2019, they release the singles Man vs. Magnet,
and Blood and Gutters. Blood and Gutters was originally released back in 2014 as a solo by Dahl. In April, they announced that they would be getting back into the studio to record a fourth album with Nick Lonay. Lonay has worked with bands such as The Bad Seeds, Yeah Yeah Yeahs, and The Talking Heads. In November, Dahl files for divorce from home for allegations of abuse against her and their children. There were a lot of negative things going on, including an instance where Holm apparently drunkenly headbutted Dahl so hard that she blacked out. Dahl also found herself in court for not being willing to hand her children over to Holm per the custody arrangement. The Distillers go on to play Redding and Leeds despite Grinelli injuring his hand in a bicycle accident, resulting in 40 stitches. They did have to cancel a lot of their dates leading up to Redding and Leeds, though. In 2020, they perform at Download Festival, and in 2021, they released a live album called Live in Lockdown. Alright, that's it. Looks like we may be seeing some more from the Distillers after all, so let's keep our ears open for this band. I have to say, this is a band I listen to a lot. It was one of the CDs that I would keep on repeat to the point it drove people crazy at my old warehouse job. There wasn't a ton out there on this band, so most of my information came from a chapter on them in Dan Ozzy's book, Sellout. There are a number of interviews with them and with Brody Dahl's solo on YouTube that are fun to watch as well. For all the rough times they went through, they always made it look like they were having fun. As always, my biggest thanks to all you punk rockers out there listening to the show. At this point, there are downloads all over the world, which just blows my mind. Keep it up and keep spreading the word. Leave those five-star reviews and let your friends know about the show. That's the best way to show your support. You can also check out the show's Patreon page or the Tee Public store for some financial support to keep the lights on over here. If nothing else, just send me an email with some of your thoughts, stories, artwork, or pictures. They might even end up on the website. And a big thank you to Granddaddy Longreg for the show's artwork. I know he's working on another design right now to add to the store for those of you who have already purchased something from the Tee Public site and want something new. This is a one-man operation, so that's a lot of late nights doing research, scripting, recording, and editing, so every little bit helps. If you noticed I got something wrong, have a suggestion for future episodes, or just want to say hey, you can contact me at letstalkpunkrock at gmail.com. That's letstalkpunkrock at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page for the podcast, as well as a Twitter at letstalkpunk. That's let's underscore talk underscore punk. And as I said last time, there's a website now, letstalkpunk.com. Check it out and let me know what you think. Alright, and on to the last part of the show, hence to our next episode. This band formed in LA in 1983. They've never signed to a major label. The lead singer has his own podcast and runs his own successful label. Think you know who it is? Let me know on social media. Alright, that's it. I'll catch you on the flip side.